everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only podcast that isn't afraid to assign a mogul score to snack food. I'm your host this evening, Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Jake Klopfenstein. Jake, how you doing, my brother? Doing good. Doing really good. Um, feeling crisp. It's a lovely fall afternoon, 64 degrees. It's, can't complain. Happy man. It, how are you? It is. And by the way, for the record, four days. Four days of cold? Nope. Four days. You remember last episode we talked about, I gave a date and you mm, said, well, this is going to let everybody track how long it takes to actually hit the streets. Four days. Well, I'll put, well, we're recording on October 22nd at oh, man. 12 53 PM. We'll just do this every episode now. So we'll see how good we're <laughs> I'm not involved at all in editing. Mark does all that wonderful stuff. Character boy. Um, so big thanks to Mark for doing all that, but I don't know why he keeps on dating himself and trying to make it go quick, but I guess we'll keep running with it. Very fun. Yeah. Wife has a big milestone birthday coming up this weekend too. So that may put a little <laughs> wham dingy in my editing plans. We'll do a fast episode. I won't say any ums. I'll be very crisp. Won't swear. You won't have to edit anything. This will be the easiest episode ever. I did have a few Effenheimers to get rid of last episode. For me or from you? Might've been both of us. Really? <laughs> that's funny it shows how out of out of practice we are if we're swearing well you said i wasn't allowed to edit something out so i made sure and swore a whole bunch there so i'd have to edit it out <laughs> good for you <laughs> that's what i should start doing because sometimes you leave things in yep yeah yeah just uh let loose with a tirade of profanity if you ever want me to actually <laughs> cut something out <laughs> then i'm like oh dang it i'm stuck i have to get rid of this <laughs> cool oh so episode 60 it's great to be back, Jake. Uh, you know, that last episode was a lot of fun and uh, actually 10 days between episodes. I love this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we, uh, we had a great gaming weekend up north. My uncle always runs a little gaming weekend up at my cabin, my folks' cabin, my uh, family's cabin, pardon me. Um, and it was great. We had, I think, 12, 13 people there over the weekend and played a whole bunch of really cool games all weekend. Kind of to our intro, 12 or 13 people and 12 or 13,000 calories of junk food every day. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Every year we say, don't bring any snacks, don't bring any snacks. And everybody brings too many snacks. And then Tyler and I end up bringing home like 3,500 calories each worth of snacks just to just to burn a hole in our pocket. So very fun. And I, I realized too, it's right on a lakeshore. So there's no basement. It's kind of two main floors. And half the group sets up on kind of a big uh, like picnic table, long buffet table kind of thing downstairs for one session. And then there's like a uh, oval shaped table upstairs with a great lake view upstairs. I need to commandeer the upstairs lake table because that is not right next to the snack table. It's kind of two different flavors there. We play a lot of Euro games. There's another group of people that do a lot of like theme games and like D&D. They should be at the big table. It seats more people. There's more space, which is the big tables downstairs. The upstairs table is way more of a Euro game table. Totally makes sense. Yep. I think we just need to stake a claim and plant a flag, my friend. Make oh, a wait, 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 wait. I have an idea. We'll do like uh, our, our favorite gamers at, at uh, Game Center always did. We'll build a wall with Euro board games that they will be so repelled from they will not even be able to approach that table. There it is. Themeless prototypes. We'll, we'll make crenellations along the top with 18xxs. If that Perfect. doesn't defend against them, nothing we, will. We have too many games each. We can easily use them as a building material to, to be able to build a fort. Perfect. Sounds like the perfect. Do you like me laying the word crenellations out there? Ooh. 
I don't get to use that word often enough. I I still don't know what it means, but I'm happy that you said it. I'm going to assume they used it correctly. It's those little those little uh, squares at the top of a castle tower, you know, that the the archers can stick between Mm -hmm. and hide behind crenellations. Mm. So I'm saying we could line the tops of our tower with crenellations of 18xx games. Speaking of crenellations and castles, I saw you playing a game with a castle in the name the other day. I did. Castles of Burgundy. What did you think of that? So Castles of Burgundy to me is the ultimate always the bridesmaid, never the bride game. Like it's one of the best games in my closet that nobody ever wants to play. And I know, well, I present company excluded, of course. There you go. Then, I made, I, then, I made a, I made a face. I was like, I, I saw that. So I was like uh, a certain presidential candidate <laughs> debates. <laughs> inside baseball here. We actually, even though it's not a video podcast, we're recording with video. We're not in the same place. Um, Jake's at his his crib. I'm at mine. Uh, but we keep live video on because we kind of feel it sort of it enhances the flow for sure. Nick out of nowhere Wednesday night just said, I've never played Castles of Burgundy and, <laughs> like, you know, shocked Pikachu face. I'm like, what? Oh, we got to change that. So pulled it out. And um, I was saddened by the fact that it had been long enough that I played that I remembered nothing about how to actually play it. Oh, that's sad. There was a lot of... Um, uh, what um, guys, what uh, um, oh, do you yeah, have the oh, BGG yeah. oh, yeah. printout? So for Castles of Burgundy, it's one of the best BGG paste-ups ever. I don't. On BGG, um, it's double-sided. It has all of the actions and explains all the tiles in plain English. Highly recommend it. It makes yeah. teaching that game after not playing in a while amazing. Send me the link. I'll make sure DZ puts it in the show notes. I'll find it for you. It's awesome. I think there's a bunch of really good ones, but I will absolutely send it. So yeah, that's 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 Castle of Burgundy. I'm happy you're doing it. Please bring it to my house on Wednesday. I will not have my copy at that point in time. So bring it because I would love to play that game again. And for me, Castle of Burgundy is a great point salad euro. Um, it's probably the only one of those I really still like where everything you do, do gets two to eight points pretty much per turn. But it makes me a little bit sad because I was mentally categorize it as a two-player game because I've played it two-player so many times. I'd like to play three and four-player more because it's it's really good, that player count, too. Shockingly breezy once, you know, and honestly, once I kind of got back on the trails with how the rules work and so forth, the teach really didn't take that long. There's always mm-hmm. a bit of a refresh with the yellow buildings and what they specifically do. Yep. And like, you know, what is what specifically does that uh, one city building do? Oh, yeah. Barring that, the do loop on that game is pretty simple. It was pretty easy to get up and running. And and frankly, we played through it three player in uh, 75 minutes, maybe 60 minutes. And that was with teach and everything else. So, you know, it rolled by pretty quickly. Now, what do you think about the new pretty version of Castles of Burgundy that's been kickstarted and probably about a year out? I mean, do you, are you aware of this? Um, I always heard about it. I thought they I didn't think it was kickstarted. Game found or whatever. I didn't buy it. It looks neat. You're going to get to play it. <laughs> I guess. I, I hope it's not going to be one of those things where I get annoyed because I don't have the right version. But I think it is what we hoped the deluxe edition was going to be. Because remember, we were super Jake. We were super geeked about the deluxe version when that mm-hmm. came out. It ended up being just a significantly more expensive and marginally prettier version of the old one. Yeah, because it just it, it wasn't better. And even then, not really. And we all kind of noped on it. But this one, I think, like, I didn't get the 3D printed terrain and so forth. That seemed silly. But I did get the, uh, they, they made, like, acrylic tiles for that. I did get those. Oh, neat. And sometimes I don't like games that get a little too photorealistic. And looking at this, it looks a right. little photorealistic with some of the animals. 
It looks pretty good. I think that's going to solve the, I was the bridesmaid, never the bride problem too. You know, that it's, you're not pulling out a box of beige to play. Oh, it's so beige. It's so much beige and so much light green. It's like what the uh, cool kids on the coast are wearing now. <laughs> if it was a board game, it'd be, des- if it was a board game, it'd be designed by cool. Or if it was clothing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. K-U-H-L. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm wearing hiking pants right now. I just finished playing frisbee golf. You know I'm wearing a gray cool shirt as we speak. Mm-hmm. It's very gray. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, th- that should be cool. I'm excited to try it. I hope it's not going to be one of those ones where I have to like trade and find it, but I'm going to do a big purge. So maybe I'll be um, just full of trade fodder and I could get somebody's copy of Castle Burgundy's Collective Edition or Special Edition. I certainly think it's worth, uh, you know, do you need to buy the ridiculous version of every game? No, absolutely not. And I think both of us would discourage anybody from doing that. But if it's kind of a greatest hits evergreen Mount Rushmore game that you look at objectively and said, yeah, there's a hundred percent chance when I'm an old man at the retirement home that I'm going to try to scare up a game of Castles of Burgundy, it might be worth pouring a few bucks into. Maybe. We had a conversation earlier, which I'm not going to talk about here, but um, we briefly asked, have you ever played a game out? There's a decent chance I've played Castles of Burgundy out. Hmm. I probably, I, so this is, this is one of my oldest games in my collection. My friend got it for me when I lived in Northeast Minneapolis, like a long time ago. And he got me a copy when the copies were going for like $12 on Amazon. Yeah. I think I paid 18 for mine. Yeah. And we, and we played when we lived together dozens of times. I've probably, and this is before I tracked gameplay. So I have no idea of the actual number, but it has to be in the 60s. Sure. this game. So I don't know. I'm excited to play again. I'd, I'd like to try to be a great time to play again coming up this upcoming week because it is such a fast game it's almost like a filler so yeah I'm trying. and i do find that sometimes too those games that you air quotes played out you know they just go they go cool off for a couple of years yeah, you rediscover like them again you're like oh, i forgot what a great game this is mm-hmm. totally. you know maybe maybe you won't have 60 more plays in you but you know five more you know as a twilight yep yep i can see that so Anyway, uh, I don't have anything revolutionary to say other than the fact that newbie Nick uh, cleaned our clocks. How does he do that? He always does it. I would say if you haven't played, I don't say this for a lot of games. If you have not played Castles of Burgundy, try to play it. Yep. I think it it's the best version of a game that everyone's tried to copy and hasn't done as well at. You know, point salads at the end of the day, they're they're a little crazy, but it feels good marking up a whole bunch of points all the time, just constantly moving oh, your piece around the board. Plunk, plink, plunk, plink, plunk, just taking little points here and there. It's great. It's fun. I mean, good. I think Nick won with like 247 oh, points. Yeah. Yeah. It was on trip three around the board. Yeah, heck yeah. It's great. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Castles of Burgundy. I know probably most Moguls listeners are well familiar with this one, but if you haven't, seek it out. And uh, this might be the dictionary definition of a 3C on the Mogul scale. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a light one, but yeah, completely agree. Circling back to the game that we talked about for, I think, 18 minutes last week, so we won't go too long on it. <laughs> we both have continued to play Arc Nova, both together and separate since. And I think yep. it probably makes sense to finalize some of our thoughts on there. I'll go first. I So since then, I think I've played it like five or six times. So certainly played this game a bit. And I still really like it, but it went from me from like, wow, this is so freaking good. This is everything I want in a game to like, like bordering 10 out of 10 to somewhere in the nine category, maybe a strong eight. Sure. It does this thing. So what's cool about castles of Burgundy is you kind of always score points. So you're always going like two to like 15 on a turn. If you have like a really good turn with the, um, having multiple animals of the same type and yeah, livestock or something. Yeah. Something like that. Or finishing a big spot. 
But the issue with Arc Nova is you don't always score points, either whether it be moving up on the conservation track or moving up on the appeal track, the tickets or the green for those lay people at home. And it kind of can undo the fun theme aspect of the game. So you're building a zoo, right? And you like physically kind of feel like you're building a zoo because you look down and you have this little blueprint of all these little hexagons of stuff you flipped over in section. So we're in this gameplay and I am so far ahead. And instead of just closing it out and scoring an extra like eight points, I decided to like faff about for a bit and just like build some stuff, you know, explore the game a little bit more. You guys weren't finishing the table um, with your, your game adjacent to us yet. So I was like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Because I'd had such big lurching turns, my opponents ended up having their lurching turns to catch up. And it, then it becomes such a racing game because not every turn that you take, maybe one out of every five, one out of every six turns is like a big 18 point turn, 20 point turn. It's all about limiting people to do that turn. So then it be, um, becomes a race game. And I don't know if this game suits the other aspects of it as a, as a race game. And I understand this is an incredibly petty complaint about a game that is still rated so high, but it just, it, it gave me the feels bad. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm here to build a zoo. I'm not here to be. I'm not trying to build the fastest zoo. Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to build the zoo fastest. I'm trying to build the best zoo. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your late processing thoughts on the wonderful Arc Nova? I still think we call it wonderful, correct? Like oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm now at uh, I'm now at about play twelve, so I've I've got some cycles under my belt on this one. Good for you. Enough enough that I can form some pretty strong opinions on it. I had a weird play of it last night. My family that was what my family wanted to do last night. They're like, can we play the zoo game. I'm like, yes, yes, we can play the zoo game. Zoo and game. Zoo. And we all know it well enough that we could just kind of fire it up. Now, having said that, there were way too many rollbacks and redos and the, oops, I guess I couldn't play that two turns ago. How are we going to unring this bell? There's a couple too many of those for my taste yesterday, but okay, we got through it. And um, strange game in that the person that ended the game, raced to the end of the game, did not end up winning. That would be me who didn't end up winning and (laughs) finished the game. I mean, I thought I had it just, going away but um after the fact it turns out that lovely mrs tesky had 12 points of like zoo architecture completing her zoo map and then another final card with completing her zoo map that just didn't know was out there and she went sailing by me in the final scores and i ended the game and ended up losing now i also realized after the fact that had i have not ended it when i did i actually think i would have lost worse because like you said right i i nicked everybody before that big final surge I didn't nick them enough. It was a strange game for um, Arc Nova. And actually that's going to get into one of my criticisms is a strong word, but observations, maybe it was an odd one in that my conservation was way ahead of my appeal. I was pretty much like a research lab Hmm. (laughs) that was doing a lot for the environment, but didn't really care if anybody ever walked through the doors. So like I was all the way around the corner on the home stretch with my conservation and had barely any appeal, which ended up severely limiting my income. So I went hard on kiosks. See, that's funny that you have such a difference because I generally don't know how people are playing the game. I just assume everyone's kind of doing the same game efficiently, right? Yeah, and it was it was a little bit of an outlier. I just I had some things early on that allowed me to score some early conservation points and develop an early lead on that. Hmm. And my my also my my end game scoring was the reputation, the, you know, the academic track on the center. So definitely pick up some extra conservation on that, as well as some bonuses by racing up that score. I will say out of a dozen plays, that is probably the most memorable one. And unfortunately, it's also maybe the only memorable one. Hmm. And that is kind of my main observation on a dozen plays is that all of them have been fun. 
very few of them have been memorable. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes to your point, too, is I can never be like, well, I was doing this weird strategy. It's variations within the same flavor. Right. I made some cages. I played some animals. I got some sponsors. I had that cool building sponsor early. Wow. Cool. Okay. Like there's no strategy. There's literally no strategy to the game. The strategy is find ways to satisfy whatever the conservation point thing is and do that. Right. That's the strategy. Right. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just, it doesn't feel like Caverna or Agricola where you are building from the get go with some idea in mind. Here's what I would love to see in a future expansion. Okay. The designer, uh, Matthias Wiggy, I think, I think that's his name. I might be wrong, is a magic player. And magic has the concept of tutors where you can play a card and you can go search the deck for or search your hand for Mm -hmm. any card. In the case of Demonic Tutor or, you know, an enchantment in the case of Enlightened Tutor or, you know, you can go look for specific things in the deck. And I would love to see the addition of those things to this game where you could like go search the deck for a primate card. Yeah, that'd be great. Search the deck for a predator, you know, or even if it's somewhat limited, like go look at the top 20 cards or top 30, you know, something like that and take a sponsor out of that so that you could actually craft out a hey i'm going to do a primate strategy or i'm going to do a sponsor strategy and so it needs like some of those enablement cards rather than just hey i ran i'm trying to do a strategy but none of those cards came up in the market so oh well right yeah so i think that that's my idea for a big fix to the game that i think would add a lot is if there were the notion of tutors or the ability to actually craft your hand and your zoo in a specific direction a little better yeah just something like that. And and it is funny because if you do compare this to Terraforming Mars, you kind of have to. You start with a special power. You have some sort of focus at the beginning of the game. And the special powers in this game, I did it from like an academic standpoint. I just ignored mine. It didn't matter. I didn't need to have a special power. Sure. And I know the boards are different. They're always that one that's either in the top of the yellow for the um, five-level conservation thing where you put a little cube out. That's usually where the weird one is. Um, it's either in the purple spot or the yellow spot. I don't know if you've noticed that yet. But even with that, it's like they're just small adjustments, right? You're not fundamentally feeling like you're building something different than your neighbor. No. You're just no, building something no, better no. or something worse, which in my case is usually worse. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, I, I wouldn't call that a negative. Um, I'm probably locking in. I, I don't know what I have this rated on. I probably have it as a nine on board game geek. It's probably an eight. We both have it as a nine right now. Yeah. It feels like an eight. Like, this is a good, solid game. It's one I'll always play. It's one my family enjoys quite a bit. So, winner, but best game ever? Nope. Not. No. No. Yeah. I'm going to keep on playing it. I'm still trying to dig in more to it. But my general takeaway might be, why don't we just play Terraforming Mars, dude? (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, I think they might be similar enough and have a little bit more meat on the bone there in regards to differences. I might be coming around to that opinion. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, always, I, need, I do need to probably play that with you with the prelude. Like, I don't ever want to play Terraforming Mars without prelude ever again. Me, you, and like Kirk could bang this out in like an hour and 15 minutes. Like, it's not a long With game. prelude, for sure. Yeah. Also, I understand it makes the game better by drafting. Drafting really hurts Terraforming Mars. Yes. We just offended a lot of people there. <laughs> or I did. Because, I, 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 yes, it makes it a better game, definitely. But, man, it makes the game take way too long. Yeah. That really slows the game down to the point where it becomes a grind. So maybe draft and two-player game 
don't draft in a five player game. Yeah. <laughs> just I mean, don't. Maybe just don't play five player terraforming Mars. I mean, that too. Concordia exists. <laughs> that too. So that is Arc Nova. Still really like it. I'm still keeping it as nine. Um, I'm excited to see what the expansion is going to be. Yeah, I, I'm very excited for that. Might be might might be going to the cool off pile for me for a little bit here. Like you know, I give 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 a few other games a run for a while. Still up to play it if somebody really champions it. But I don't know that that's going to be the oh let's play Ark Nova. Right. Final point on this, I think another reason it did so well in BGG is you don't have to pick a strategy. Yeah, you're probably not wrong there. You feel like you're in it in the first couple of games more than you probably do otherwise because you don't have to be like, well, I just picked a losing strategy. You know, I don't understand how that works. You're kind of just hyper efficiency little things. You know, it's really situational and stuff like that. So it's probably a little bit less work. Yeah, very, very tactical selection on what you're doing that round. Absolutely. You have less feel bad plays. Yeah. So that's our Canova by uh, Matthias Wiggy. Speaking of feel bad plays. (laughs) Here we go. I know where this is going. I hadn't been up to uh, to the cabin yet. I had my boss in town this past week in a trade show, so I actually couldn't get up as early as I'd like to. So I was up there on Friday. So I was getting some notes about what you were playing, and I uh, I think you found a new favorite game. Is that correct? <laughs> um, you know what? There are benefits to having games you love, and there are benefits to having games you didn't because they all make interesting content on podcasts. And you are the big winner in my play of Nemesis. I guess, and that's a good way to think of it. Think of the story. The story of Nemesis is that you listeners are going to be the beneficiaries of my play (laughs) because whether you agree with me or whether you don't, and there will be people that will be both. I've already found that. (laughs) Hopefully this will be an entertaining discussion. All right. So I came up early to this cabin weekend and the crew that I was going up with is very much a co-op. You know, they like playing co-ops. In fact, they like co-ops so much. They like kind of, uh, they're, they're okay with house rule and the living crap out of them so that they can have a better experience. They're big house rulers in D&D as well, by the way. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to make it easier. It's just they'll house rule out something that they don't feel is thematic mm-hmm. or they'll house rule out something that they feel is overly fiddly or uh, right. whatever. So I, I knew that that was the crew that I was going up there to visit. So I, you know, I, I knew that 18XX was not going to happen. I knew that heavy, deep euros were not going to happen. And like, they're all good friends. And I was happy to see them again. And I was just going to be a good sport and ride out come what may. Come what may happen to be Nemesis, which is, you know, if you've been under a, under a rock, is a very, very highly regarded um, Ameritrash co-op game that's sitting at about number 19 or 18, somewhere right in there, in top 20 in Board Game mm-hmm. Geek. So, like, this is a very popular game. You know, it's a big box of plastic, right? There's incredible looking sculpts. And objectively, these are really beautiful sculpts. They're extremely ornate. They're perfectly produced. They're huge. There's a variety of them. There's even, like, different sculpts for the same alien. Thing. Oh, by the way, spoilers, it's about aliens. <laughs> by the way, if you didn't know that. So it's it's made quite a buzz. And it, like I mentioned, it's pretty much aliens, the board game. Like we couldn't get the IP. We wanted to make an aliens board game, but we couldn't get the IP. So we made Nemesis instead of calling them aliens. We're calling them, what is it? Intruders and their larva instead of chest bursers and so on and so forth. But, you know, functionally, the, the conceit is, is that you're coming out of cryosleep and you don't know why and you're actually kind of have kind of have amnesia and you don't know where anything is in the ship and you have to kind of rediscover what your mission is and where the parts of the ship are and then solve those things before the alien swarm takes over and makes it impossible for you to do so that's the core thing behind the game so we act we did a kind of a light rules teach play through one round late the first night and then got up the next day and sort of made it the cornerstone of the day hmm. so thoughts 
I'm not ashamed to admit that I am not a fan of co-op games. And this did nothing to change that. I guess what it did is it made me think a little more deeply about why is this that I don't enjoy this activity that plainly everybody else at the activity at the table is enjoying way more than me. Like everybody else at the table was all in. They're cheering, they're laughing, they're, you know, high-fiving each other and they're groaning as they're realizing there's we're now three and a half hours in and there's no chance for anybody to meet their objective. And I'm sitting there going... I haven't done interesting anything interesting in two hours because I'm so wounded I can't move. Where I, my objective is on the far side of the ship, and there's 14 aliens between us and them, and literally anything I do is going to cause me to die. So I'm going to spend the next hour trying to stay alive so that maybe one of my shipmates can meet his or her, yeah, his in this case, semi co-op objective. So I was stuck in the game for two hours with nothing to do, and that was unpleasant. So. We actually had this come up in a different game that we played. You should have just asked to leave. I mean, especially in a co-op game, right? It's the easiest game to just be like, guys, I'm done. I'm just, I well, you know, like you, you don't impact anybody else. We've put a man on the moon. We can probably take a dude out of a crappy co-op. Yeah. And I probably should have done that. I don't know. I, f- I feel bad about being quitter pants and I don't know how it queers the game. You know, does me having in there distract aliens to make it easier for you to win? Right. Right. I mean, that's not fun for me, but it does warp the game. And I, I hate to do that. Like when people have three hours invested into a game to warp the game in the last second and jump out like 18 XX, this happens all the time where somebody's completely out of it. Yet if they quit, it would uh, absolutely alter the trajectory of the game irreparably. Well, in 18xx, you play until a loser or a winner has been determined in a lot of a lot of game groups. So, sure for for that exact reason, right? It's not optimal play if somebody's just kind of monkeying around, right? You can't really predict that. So, yeah, and I've been in 18xx games where I've been mathematically eliminated a long time ago, but I'm not bankrupt, so I'm not out of the game. Yet, there's two or three people that are extremely close to each other, and me leaving inherently king makes somebody right. I may not go in and try to do vicious backstabby stabby things all the time, but at least I'll, you know, play it out and make whoever's going to win fight for it. Mm. One of the crucial mistakes we made on our play was that, and this is one thing that's actually objectively bad about this game, is there are insta-death situations. Mm. And this happened to one of the players. Troy was playing along, and he didn't realize how bad Larva were. He just, he looked at it and he went, okay, I'm only a room away from the hospital. I'll take the Larva thing. And then I'll go over to the hospital and get it out rather than trying to fight it away, whatever. So I don't, I I missed the exact sequence of events that happened to him getting the larva, but he ended up with the larva. And then literally that was the end of the round. And the next event card that popped up said, anybody with larva are dead. Hmm. And he's like, okay, literally the last thing that happened was I got infected by larva. And you, you so there was zero. That should have been me. (laughs) Well, yeah, there was zero. So there was zero places for actions between when he got the larva And when he was dead, Hmm. it was just like, surprise, you're dead. So what ended up happening is there's a variant where that person can come back in and actually drive the aliens. Oh, you just did that. Seems like a good idea, right? Mm -hmm. Well, problem is the guy that came back in as the aliens knew what our objectives were and then just sat there and camped aliens on where those objective places, making it impossible to actually do that. Fun. Yeah, no. Now, to be fair, everybody else in the group looked at it afterwards and said, yeah, that sucked. We're never doing that again. (laughs) The events are the random events are better. Friends, when random events are better than people actually taking action, you might not have an awesome game. Call you crazy. What a crazy take. Yeah, I know. I guess this goes into another point that I always think about with games. So 
if you brought just your most normie friend, you know, plays, watches football on Sundays, you know, watches, watches college games on Saturdays, you know, doesn't understand anything, you know, doesn't, doesn't even understand that board games are a thing, right? Beyond like Monopoly. Do you think he would understand by getting three or four images of two different games being played over the tenure of the game, if you'd understand that we're doing any different action between games that drip with theme, which is the grossest thing that we say in board games, and like really dry euros? I really don't think they would. I don't think there's any innate difference in actually what's going on in that much of a thing. And maybe I have a really underdeveloped like sense of fantasy and, and all that stuff, but I don't know. Just to well, me, it's not like I, I don't feel like I'm being an alien. I'm just walking around, you know, like... I'm sitting with my friends and chatting like that's kind of what games are, you know? Well, yeah. And I think we, we've had this discussion before where we've, we've mentioned that, you know, putting a picture of something on a card is not theme, right? Right. Drawing a picture of a spaceship on a player board is not theme. No. And I think we're probably minorities in that, in regards to that, that, that thought process. Um, because yeah, it's just, I, I wouldn't sit down and be like, yeah, I'm shooting a gun. No, I'm dealing damage. Like it doesn't matter. I could do this in any, other whatever pasted on thing you want it to be. What's the actual gameplay loop? Before, before everybody that are the Nemesis fans jumps out of their chair and screams. Oh, yeah, I, do, I do think, I, <laughs> well, like I said, it is in the top 20. So I, we're probably but I would imagine if they listen to us playing trains all the time and then. <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably true. <laughs> for, for, I know, for three I, years, they're confused. I kind of, I kind of workshop some of my thoughts in front of Lampkin and he was just screaming on. Tw- <laughs> what? Yeah, it's about the can, story. He can shoot me a DM. He can shoot me a DM. I'll, 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 I'll tell him that board game or that video game exists. And you actually feel like you're doing something in that, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would think the act, the actions in the game kind of do support what it is that you're doing, you know, you are taking actions to explore and walk around the ship. I mean, you're not just trading in resources for some other cube for another cube. So uh, that maybe isn't the most valid theme, but I also don't think like there was no real, the story was the fuse is burning. Try to get out before the bomb blows up. Yes, that's a story. It's not a very exciting one, but it is a story. Kind of every play of that is some variant on that story, right? You know, here's a mission, do it before it blows up. And what this all caused me to do is it caused me to really sit back and go, wow, I'm here with five other people that are plainly having the time of their life and I'm miserable. Am I not capable of joy or what's what's going on here? And I know that's not true because I have many things that I love in my world and I love them very passionately. And, you know, anybody that's around me, if, if you don't know the things that I love, you've never met me because mm. I wear it on my sleeve. And it really caused me to think, I'm like, what is it about this activity that bounces off me so hard? What, why is it that I had such a negative experience here when everybody else loved it and played it multiple times the rest of the weekend and had that experience that we all think we're getting in a co-op? And it really came down to really two different things that that stuck with me that I realized that I don't like about co-ops and I didn't like about nemesis and is probably always going to be a thing. So thing one, thing one is that I really don't like the pandemic game flow because it's very algorithmic. And I realized that's why I don't like it. So pandemic, you are again, it's the same idea, right? You have a goal that you're trying to reach before the game blows up in your face. I mean, that's exactly what you're trying to do in nemesis. And by the way, there's a hundred other co-op games that do the exact same thing. I think of like the, uh, the firefighter game, uh, Flashpoint. Same exact idea. Harry Potter Hogwarts battle. Same thing. Get your goal before it blows up in your face. 
it feels so algorithmic. Like you don't have any control over this. Like it's just going to keep heaping stuff on you until you either get ahead of it or you don't. It just, it feels so mechanical. It feels so hopeless. Like I can't do anything that causes those events to not blow up in my face. Right. You're just hoping that you're prepared for it. Yeah. And every time you start getting ahead of it a little bit, oh, the water's rising. Borrow a theme, Forbidden Island, which uses the same formula. It just kind of sounds like my job. It sounds like keeping on top of my work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe that's, and maybe that's it. It does feel too much like work. You know, just like, oh, I'm not, I can't control bad emails. I'm just going to, my customers are going to be mad at me. The water's rising. I just have to deal with it, you know. <laughs> you know, better respond to it. Try to make people happy, but people are going to be mad, you know. And then I realized, you know, there are co-ops that I love. I mean, at its at its core, D&D is a co-op. Gloomhaven's definitely a co-op. The difference there is that, like I said, it's the lack of that algorithmic, we're just going to keep, you know, randomly piling crap on you and hopefully you get done before that blows up. You know, at least with Gloomhaven, it's a formulaic thing. You know exactly what's there. And, you know, it may be too much for you to take, given your game plan. You might have to rethink your game plan and do it again. Mm. But you can solve that puzzle. It doesn't just randomly throw stuff at you. Gotcha. D&D, too. It's DM controlled and player controlled. There's very few just random events that happen. Yeah. As a corollary to that, sure. The reason you do that is because eventually you're going to win, right? And it feels great when you all win. Most people don't like an easy co-op game that they can win every time. I don't. You know, what's the point of doing that? But if you also pick a really hard one, and Nemesis is considered to be a harder co-op, I think, at least that's what my playmates were telling me, you're going to win like once out of five, once out of six times, once out of seven times. I don't know. So unless you're going to commit to playing that many times till you actually win, let's see, I had five times that really sucked and one time that was great. Jake, would you play a game six times where first five times you played it, it sucked? I have. I don't like to, but I have. (laughs) Well, sure. You'd rather play something else. Now, maybe you're a masochistic soul and think that, well, yeah, we lost, but that didn't suck. I don't know. I I got nothing for you. We we think different thoughts about that. Having a miserable time and trying not to die for two hours is not fun to me, but apparently it isn't to everybody else. I think some people also value discussion about games after the fact. And I think co-ops have intrinsically more discussion than, than, than competitive games because you're all in it together. You're all technically playing the game together. And so you can discuss choices and decisions and all that stuff. But comparing the weekend, how much they talked about their games post-game report compared to me and you talking about, oh, Ark Nova, that was cool. There's, it's, it's almost night and day. Yeah. No, you're, you're not wrong there. I mean, they definitely... And that's the thing I think people really enjoy doing. Yeah. And I don't know if I always like doing it. I mean, we have this podcast, obviously clearly there's something there, but (laughs) yeah, I don't know that we're one to talk, but yeah, but, but no, you're, you're right. We did not spend an hour afterwards talking about the finer points of really anything we played. I'm sure there's a meme format here of you being like all these explanations and having a thesis about disliking co-ops and like explaining yourself and proving your work. And then just me being like co-ops bad. That's all I have, you know, like I don't, I just, I just don't like them. They're, they're, they're poopy. No, thank you. I do not like. Anyway, to wrap this, wrap this whole thing up, uh, finally after an hour and after two hours of helplessness, I could take no more. And I threw a grenade at a alien that was in the same room as me causing my final fatal wound. Cause I was in the same room as it when I threw a grenade and that took me out of my misery. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm happy you got experience this cool game. Took a game off your top hundred that everybody copies us on. Um, so maybe when we do that again, I know one less than the not 100. Oh, Hey, uh, shout out to dads on a map. 
appreciate the, you know that you guys uh, did the not 100 it was fun content so uh it was very cool of you guys to do that and thanks yeah, for the shout out really, as well really agree yeah yeah i'm just joshing we like we like it when people we don't invent stuff here copy us all you want sure and by the way <laughs> we appreciate a little forgiveness when we uh, rip off your content in the future so <laughs> perfect <laughs> it will happen all right well that is nemesis i mean it's a co-op game played if you like it we're not even a mobile score or whatever moving on uh what is it it was probably it was probably a 4b because we spent four hours arguing about what the actual rules were and the b in terms of strategy cool sweet play it if you want no thanks um speaking of games that we really did like you got to play two different flavors of caverna this past weekend which is fun i love it and the deep rock galactic crossover there needs to be a deep rock galactic flavored theme of caverna they do that would be awesome Anybody here play Deep Rock Galactic? I know you do. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure other people do. It, it got pretty big there for a while. It's, it's a fun little game. There's Warhammer 40k dwarves in space, too. I think they're called like squibs. I can't remember what they're called, but that'd be fun. That'd be a fun theme for the next thing because he has been playing around in space. So maybe, maybe that could be the next game. Oh, hey, I'm going to sidetrack for one second here. Yep. I'm going to sidetrack back to our Arknova discussion since we're talking about game crossovers. Sure. Arknova Dungeon Pets. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, that would be the greatest game ever. Oh, little monsters that you're trying to raise in there. That would be so awesome. It would be. It certainly would. But I guess they probably run out sooner than you think. It's probably easier to have just regular animals. animals. Well, Magic hasn't had a problem with that. I guess. But they, they have moved to different planes. Sure. <laughs> so we always, at, at this little convention, we do have like a very serious game of Caverna. It's been a long bone tradition. You kind of keep, if you win, you usually get some sort of like braggadocious rights for the rest of the year. And we played this time. It was a five-player game. It was great as always. We have gentlemen's agreements about not getting certain tiles and kind of have a bit of a dialogue after much akin to the co-op style thing. And it's just, it's always really fun. Mark, I think this is your first year winning, correct? Oh, <laughs> I do get bragging rights for the next Good year on this you. one. Good for this you. This is my fifth, fifth attempt in the first time at taking home the crown on this one. I think I, I think I had two in a row last couple but i wasn't at the last year so makes sense it is considered to, uh, to be a you know an erstwhile championship of the weekend a little bit you mm-hmm. know where it's of all the games i won over the weekend this is the one i cared about winning the most mm-hmm. no question about it mm-hmm. the other interesting twist on it too is it is a uh, it is a experts only no teach game like Mm-hmm. sit down if you want but there's not going to be any teach and by the way you're playing with people that have played this a lot so this is going to be fast-paced and no hold barred yep this one definitely played out it was an it was a hyper low scoring game like a good caverna score is north of 100 what yeah that was that was kind of the bar of bar of scoring on caverna you must be much kinder i'm looking at my plays right now and generally mid to high 80s is the winner mm. yeah i mean the, let's see i've never even seen up. a seen a score in 100 Oh, I've definitely seen scores over 100. Lower player counts or higher player counts? Uh, I typically play three or four. Uh, Caverna Cave Farmers. So, top score, 113. I'll give you one guess who that was. Phil. Yeah, my high score ever is 84. (laughs) But, I mean, obviously, with playing with experienced people, we take things a little bit more brutally. Like, if I have two options, one gets me five points but lets one open for Tyler that lets him get six. I'll choose the one that gets me, the one that would get him six points, gives me two points and gives him like no points, right? It's better oh, to yeah. take the stuff away from each other. So I think the scores do generally trend down, which makes sense. To be fair, average winning score is 84.7 on my trails. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not wrong. 
Yeah, that definitely happened. It was a fairly low scoring game because there was a lot of defensive play going on, a lot of hate drafting, a lot Mm -hmm. of that type of play going on. I will say, though, that what I think really helped me a lot and, you know, we've tread this ground a lot, the whole Agricola versus Caverna. I've been playing a lot more Agricola lately than I have of Caverna. And I definitely think my Agricola play helped my Caverna play a lot because for the first time, I did not do a strategy per se. I did not try to do farming or cave mining or I was always going for the optimal play. You know, the, huh, there's like 14 ore sitting there. I really don't need them, but they'll come in handy at some point. Wow, that's a lot of wood sitting there. Well, while I don't disagree with your point, I do think it makes sense to point out that you were the person zagging when everybody else was zigging. Also true. Yep. And I, I, I do agree. I do think you were more situational this time and being better about the th- stuff that's good. But I do think you... I was metagaming my brains out. That's probably the best yeah, way to put it. Yeah. Because I was, I was hardcore metagaming. Because I always play peaceful. That's my... I love playing peaceful strategy in Caverna. I hate the adventuring. I think it slows down the game. I actually think it's kind of a stupid mechanism. <laughs> And it's a bit of a complaint. So I try to generally avoid it and I get the peaceful cavern. I decided I was going to do the exact opposite way I normally play. And I did the big mind strategy and I did the thing. But guess who was also doing that? Tyler and Nick. The person to your right. Yeah. And the person to <laughs> the, my left. The two so people like, to your right. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was not, a, it was, it was, it was one of those things where I was competing and you ended up doing kind of early farming because you were kind of just chilling and a lot of people didn't do it. I was player five. Mm hmm. I looked at that and I went, huh, okay. Cause yeah, the person to my left was the first player. So I'm like, wow. All right. So everybody's going to be having a direction. I'm going to get fifth pick by the time I come around here. So no, it's a, it's almost a blessing. I actually think so because I was a, that I had like a built in zag built into my strategy because mm-hmm. by the time it even came around to me, it was very obvious that, okay, the two people to my immediate right are going adventuring two people to the right of them are going mining. So let's get my food engine running yeah no it totally makes sense and you, and you did i mean i'm not trying to like shock your play you played quite well no you you, you did well you were five points off of the next person but yeah i mean it's 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 just i think that's a big part of the game is 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 making sure you're not really competing in resources or style yeah, of well, play pardon me than someone else and if you can zag when everybody else is zigging you're gonna do well and, and couple that with knowing timing on market space stuff i think you you, you play pretty well so because of the fact that I worked on getting a food engine up and running way earlier than everybody else, when everybody started to care about that, then I could just run around and grab all the adventuring stuff that people weren't right. taking because right. they were worried about establishing a farm. Again, zagging. Mm-hmm. I also defensively like took the building that rewards for having a whole bunch of animals as I looked to my right and saw that Kirk had a whole crap ton of animals and mm-hmm. took him around or two before he realized that I had taken that one and got a few exclamations. Uh, <laughs> Who took that building? So that was fun stuff. But I also think I managed to not put a foot out of place. I mean, that's not that exciting. It's not a strategy. It's just that I managed to not put a foot out of place for all the turns. It was kind of just the right move. I didn't make any bad moves. Timed everything right. Yeah. And and that's the beauty of that game. Sometimes in an 18xx, you just feel like you're walking through a minefield and didn't step on a mine. That applies to this game. You know, you just just step in and kind of a nice, lovely little stroll. I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're doing the right stuff and you're being mindful and cognizant on it, but sometimes you just didn't get in someone else's way. Oh, I think that definitely happened. Yeah. Cause I just, I really was never fighting. It, it seemed almost easy. You know, it was just, yeah, it's kind of breezy. I was never swearing at somebody else for taking my stuff. I always had what I needed. Yeah. I, I knew I was out early. It's just the second that Nick got the like, well, I'm an adventure. I did like early adventuring 
And then Nick picked up like late adventuring, but good, like in the second or third round. And I was like, oh gosh, he's going to. And then he came with like an eight strength thing. And I was just sitting here with my like little five strength guy trying to blink away and just really limited myself. So anywho. Yeah, I was going to say one last little thing that was a huge boon throughout the entire game was, and I don't even know how it got to this point, but at one point on like the second or third round, well, it was enough rounds in that it had built up. There was like five rubies sitting on the ruby spot. How it ever gets to be that much, I have no idea. But took it a couple of times with my mind. Yeah, I collected all those rubies and just used them for the rest of the game. I was put my big adventurer to the head of the class and easy, easy. you know grabbed the four adventure spaces way ahead of everybody else, and that that paid huge dividends throughout the entire game. Mm-hmm. Certainly did. Um, before we move on to comparing this with Cave versus Cave, because I didn't actually get to play that. Um, I actually used to own that game, but I sold my copy. Still Agricola or Caverna? Which one do you prefer? I think maybe the day to compare them is is past. I think we're post comparison. Yeah, that, that, that's actually my point is I don't care. I might not care anymore. I think there's such wildly different games that comparing them is somewhat ludicrous. I think they're very similar. I just I just don't care about comparing them. It's I, it's like for me, it's I'm trying to figure out like something, a good analogy. My kids are different and I love them the same. Yeah, but they're the same. I don't know. It'd be like twins. It'd be like friends that are twins. It's like, yeah, they're the, they're the same, but they're different enough and they're also similar enough. It just... I don't know. I'm, I'm over that comparison. I'm fine with both. Yeah. I mean, I think if you put them both on a shelf next to me and said, okay, we're going to play one of these two, you pick. Probably six times out of 10, I'll pick Agricola and four times out of 10, I'll pick Caverna. I'd probably pick Caverna more just because I think it presents better than Agricola does. I think Agricola can be a little daunting because everything's here, right? Everything's in your face. You have to hold on to your other cards. You're kind of in your own little world. But with Caverna, you have your own little world and you're bringing in this joint community thing we're all interacting with. And I think that can subconsciously be a little bit better sometimes for different players, even though I think it's a little bit more complicated because you have all those different tiles. But yeah. So anyway, Caverna, always fantastic. Uh, Look forward to doing that every year coming up. Unfortunately, that's kind of the only time during the year I play it. We should. That's another one that I've I've almost brought with on a Wednesday night a pile of times. I should do that. I should just bring that one because I'm always down to play that game. You should. I mean, I, I, I like playing it. I mean, maybe we just play it Wednesday again. That could be really fun. Because that was great. And it plays a high player count. It does and it plays well at high player. So the other side of that coin is I also very recently picked up a copy of Caverna Cave versus Cave. I know this is not a new game. <laughs> I know everybody's like, yeah, okay, welcome to the party. I found a copy at Half Price Books for 12 whole dollars. That might be the best 12 bucks I've spent in a while. Hmm. delightful little game i i really slept on it up front in fact i I rolled back my really any games that played two player because i just found i didn't have many opportunities to play two player games but then when i had none all of a sudden opportunities to play two or game two player games rear its head all over the place and i feel like i've had a lot more opportunities lately and i've been filling that opportunity with caverna cave versus cave a lot including this weekend interesting so it's thematically similar to Caverna, but I would not say it's the same game. It's kind of not even close to the same game. I mean, there are some similar touch points, right? Like you're building rooms in a cave. That part is the same. But how you go about doing it is is very different. One of the neatest things to think about it is that as you dig your cave out, instead of just going to a fixed market of rooms that you can build, you're revealing rooms. So like I'm going to dig this room out. And that's going to go into the central market that we both can pick from. And so the order in which the games, the the rooms that you can build get revealed, there's very random. You know, there's 40 or so different tiles that you can pick from. And that really uh, leads to a surprising amount of variability in the plays. Um, Plays out in about an hour. 
and, you know, extremely quick rule teeth. Um, boy, I have a hard time not recommending that. Yeah, I, I don't remember why I got rid of it. I went through this phase of like prioritizing two player games because I remember thinking it was really good. I remember tracking the resources was a bit annoying, but like other than that, it was pretty good. But I just decided to get rid of it. And I don't know why, but um, I think if you have that flavor of I play a lot of two player games, but sometimes two player Caverna doesn't scratch the edge correctly or is one way too much or whatever. That like category of those lookout games that are two player versions of the bigger games are really cool. I know there's one for Lahav too. Have you ever tried that one? I have not. I've I've not, but I would I would love to. Yeah, I think you'd actually really like circling back to that. Mm-hmm. It was called like the Inland Port or something, yeah, like, something that, like that. Yeah, something like that. And I've actually heard it's really good. And Caverna's definitely in that too. And then there's a great little creatures big and small, I believe, and all these different like smaller versions of the same idea, but a little bit different. And it's cool that they did that as a as a theory for a while. And it's it's neat that they've stood the test of time. So I think what I like about games in that niche is that kind of tweener niche is they don't feel like a filler. Like you don't walk away just going, eh, we, you know, we played a couple of hands of cards, but at the same time, it's also not a eight pound box full of a thousand wood bits that takes 20 minutes to set up and play, which would be the case if you were playing two player Caverna. So like I actually was on vacation with my wife for our anniversary a couple of weeks ago and just chucked cave versus cave into the uh, suitcase. Now we didn't end up having any free time to play it, but you know, I was very easy one to throw in the suitcase where I'd never in a million years just go, honey, look what I got pull out <laughs> the full box version of caverna you know because we do actually frequently play games while we're waiting for dinner or right yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's something nice so forth we got a little downtime when we're on a little trip yeah it totally makes sense and i think it's neat that this was like a flavor of game it even has like its own page on board game geek of games that are all like this where there's two player versions of games that also exist as bigger games you know you got imahotep the duel you got king domino duel you got there's actually a big box of caverna by the way Cave versus Cave that came out in 2022. Mm. So maybe you have to keep an eye out for that. And then obviously Sat Splendor Duel and stuff like that, where it's like you think all these games are working for two players and either it's a marketing cash in, which maybe it is, or maybe the designers. I'm sure in some of those cases, yeah. I'm sure. But some of them too are just these games don't do great at two. They work at two, but they're really better at three or four. Let's get a game that's great at two. You know, it's 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 neat they exist. I I find that fun. Right. Just tweak the rules enough that Mm -hmm resolve any of the issues that make it a fair game yeah 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 yeah, when you're taking a four-player game and playing it at two that make it a great game instead agreed so i'm happy they got it i'd like to try it sometime maybe that's something we can do and play it out should be cool i would love to do that over a couple of banh mi sandwiches at misant yes sir that's what we like so that is uh cave versus cave also by uve rosenberg and the um banh mi's are by misant in the Minneapolis, a great spot if you're in the Twin Cities. Oh, fantastic. I was by the one in Upland, Brooklyn Park, Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Center yesterday. Didn't eat there, though. Yeah, it used to be, I think, I think it used to be like a Taco John's or something like that. Burger King, can't remember which one, but um, a Wendy's used to be Wendy's, I think. But it's such a cute little place. Love it. Speaking of cute little things, I played a very small box game, but I believe is the Hot Boy small box game is that correct like it took the world by storm is it like kind of cool is it on the hotness i hadn't heard of this until nick whipped it out gosh you're supposed to know this stuff dude you're supposed to i know know. it's by board game gables i know mogul fail it's by board game tables um and i think they're they're kind of the cool publisher right now at least that's that's my that's my read right now yeah i mean hard to argue with that with bear raid yeah 100 so we're talking about takashi sakue wonderful game called dandelions published by board game tables 
So in this game, you are moving a little pawn around a five-petaled leaf, and then it has interesting ways to score depending on where. And then you roll some dice, you get like eight dice or something. And then depending on where you like land and choose these different dice, different dice come out. And then you get a score in both two ways. And you, and you place the dice on where you land. Yeah, yeah where, where you move, by how you move. by the It's time you roll and move, which is neat. And then you get to like score two different ways. I hadn't put that together, but it is totally a roll and move, 100%. isn't it? Yeah, 100%. It's, it's an area, <laughs> area influence slash majority dice rolling, king of the hill, area movement kind of vibe game. It's hard. I've podcasted it quite a bit, and you can listen to our back catalog. I have a tough time explaining what you're doing in this game, but I thought it was inoffensive and fun. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this as we were pre-gaming this episode, and you said, well, you can play Dandelions with Nick, too. And I went, yeah, I liked it. it seemed inoffensive. And quite fun. Yeah, and the, fun. Yeah, you, you, you both score, like, whoever has the most pips in an area, plus the number times the number of dice that you have in an area. Cool. Neat. And that's kind of it. And it's fast. You learn it quickly. You fall in the game it plays quickly. in about 15 it minutes. It plays three pretty. people, specifically. I think it's two and three player only. Awesome. I'm happy that more games exist in this small weight for an affordable price that are well done with good scoring pads that is erasable, the dry erase. Cool. I'm happy to exist. That's all I got to say about this game. I don't really have any takeaways other than neat, neat little game. I think you could wedge this in a quiver too. Like, you know, oh, when yeah, you, for sure. when you've got the quiver uh, traveling game pack, you know, it's real easy to get a whole bunch of card games in there. So I kind of specifically try to include a few that specifically aren't card games and, yeah, this this you this could, would I fix think you that. Could probably get that in there. And there's a it's sold on BGG for ten dollars, relatively re- recently. So cool, nice. I'm happy that things like this exist. I think, especially with Oinks being a little bit of like kind of silly price sometimes. Obviously, we love the games. Not trying to be mean to them. I'm happy when other game companies do small box games well. Yes, yeah, you know, in an, in an Oinky style way. And I think Dandelions did did that in an Oinky style way in a slightly bigger box, more of that square small box style, but. I'm happy that I got to play this and fun little fillers. I'm always looking for more, always exploring that space. So that is Dandelions by um, Board Game Tables and Takashi. Is this a 1A, Jake? Oh, 1A or this, 1B? This isn't a 1A, what is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a, it's a roll and move. <laughs> like you, you have choices, don't get me wrong. There's probably a B, but I just think to keep it keep it really light for gamers, this, this is totally a 1A. So. Yeah. It's an enjoyable, pleasurable filler when you have a small number of people. Absolutely. So keeping it going with fillers, Age of Steam. <laughs> I was like, I'm looking at the list we have here and I'm just going, where's he going with this? Where's he going with this? Age of Steam is just a filler. You know what I mean? It's a filler to, to uh, 18xx. It's an amuse-bouche. So Mark, you were grumpy during two gameplays this weekend. We already talked about the Nemesis one. You were also grumpy during Age of Steam. Why don't you explain to the class what you're, what you're going through with Age of Steam? Because I find it fascinating, a little bit annoying. And interesting. Explain it away. If you believe our last, the gaming mogul's last top 20, you know, this is a top three game for me. I forget exactly where it landed, but it's it's an extremely highly rated game for me. Mm -hmm. I have realized that I have a very, very strange relationship with Age of Steam. It scares me in a way, it intimidates me. Intimidates me is maybe the correct way. It intimidates me in a way that other games do not. I feel like I'm jumping into a pickup basketball game with a bunch of dudes that have been playing street basketball since they were one and that they're hustling me. You know, I feel like I'm being hustled every time I get pulled into that game. I need to push back on that because there is no way that that game group was street ball. Maybe Nick played like D3 basketball in like college in this analogy. 
But like, I'm just a dude who like played in middle school. Tyler's just like tall. And I, and I don't know that, but everybody's kind of, you know, everybody's talking smack and every, you know, there's a little bit of smack talk. And yeah. But little, I mean, like, so we played with Nick who goes to age of steam. Con. So Nick does know age of steam quite well. Me, I'm me, like just dude, I, I know how to play the game. I'm not great, not bad. And then we have Tyler and John. Tyler's been played games like forever. And John, I think it is something about, I can't tell the last time we played age of steam, but it's not like they're like some Titans of the age of steam community, you know? It, but it's like age of steam is actually the street ball dudes. Agreed. And I just wanted to explain the analogy because I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't want, I didn't want everybody to be like, Oh right. wow, God, the guys you're playing with sound awful. No, no, we, we, we were all in the same belt. Mark was in our category of, of, he was in the right division. My buddy actually right. joined a, joined a, a, a rec league for basketball and he joined in. He, so there's like four tiers. It's like platinum, gold, silver, and bronze. And so he joined silver. He's six, four, pretty athletic dude. And like dudes came out with like matching warmups on the team he was playing and he was just a pickup guy and they like had plays to run and everything. And he felt so swindled. Side note, <laughs> it's just like people taking a rec league game too much. They ended up getting in a lot of trouble and had to move up to like the platinum or gold tier, but that was side note. Continue. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. So as a result, yeah, I feel like I'm being hustled every time I start that game that I'm like, Oh, I'm about to lose my freaking mortgage by playing this so mm. games that you can lose in the first round right we we like those games we approve of many of them and you know if you can't lose a game on the first round why play it i realize there's a difference between losing the game in the first round and not knowing it and losing a game in the first round and knowing it every single move you make for the entire rest of the game and in a splatter game you can absolutely lose in the first round but you're still playing the game, right? You may not know it. You kind of have an, a vague sense of the, well, I'm not doing very good, but at least I'm playing. Whereas you screw up that first round in Age of Steam, you might go bankrupt that first round. <laughs> you know, or you're, you spend the entire rest of the game we you know, we in all went some bankrupt. spiral of poverty. We all, we all took an emergency. We're going to be nice to everybody and everybody gets an extra share. Yep. We <laughs> yep. And then I think that's what, that's what intimidates me. It almost becomes an opportunity cost equation where I'm like, okay, I might get it right and I might win and then it'll be really fun. Or I could screw up on the first round and then that two hours I could have played something where I did have fun because I didn't have fun because I spent the next two hours just trying to stay alive. And I think that's what intimidates me about it. See, but that's not fair because you did have fun because you ended up doing okay. I did, yep. And the other part of it too is I did not remember the game as well as I thought I did. Again, I kind of like, oh yeah, it's really simple. All the rules are there. You just ding, 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 ding. But what I did not remember was how to do all like the calculations on, geez, do I need another loan? Am I making enough money to, how, how do those cubes even score again? Shoot, I don't remember. So, you know, it was all of a sudden just, you know, quick rules teach, boom, we're running. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. And I'm probably going to lose by what I have to do next. Mm. I would imagine that we are a higher variability in gameplay than a lot of people in the board game community. And I think Age of Steam does not suit that game group well oh 100% agreed which I think we could get variety by playing Age of Steam and playing all the different maps that Nick and I own which could be really really fun I'd like to do that but um, if you're not willing to in, in the same point that you said with the co-op games if you're not willing to play it six times to get that one win it's probably not worth playing Age of Steam once a year you should probably play it at least three or four times a year to make sure you're not in that spiral yeah, no, I think you're 100% right on that one. And I think there's also, you made a comment earlier with uh, Agricola versus Caverna, where there's a there's a level of intimidation wrapped around Agricola that makes it not the cuddliest game to belly up to. 
Yeah. Right. And I kind of have the same feeling about age of steam where like, I think it's a brilliant game. I think it's one of the best games ever designed and it intimidates me yeah. every time I step up to it. But I think the issue is I think you just have to jump. I think you're holding your, holding your, uh, yourself when you're about to jump in the lake. And I think you just got to jump down. So I think yeah. once you're in it, you get it. I think it's, it's, it's all the pregame silliness of it. Like I think if Nick and I were just bullies, we said, we're playing you just steam for the next whatever. We're going to play it every, every month at least. I think you, 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 the intimidation will wash off pretty quickly. And I honestly don't know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. I know the rest of our group has played it. I'm not sure how much the rest of our group likes it. Tyler likes it a lot, but obviously he's not really present in the group. I know John likes it, but John likes everything. So I don't really know how he works. Dennis loves it. Dennis loves it. Um, Nick and I love it. It's Phil and Eric. Um, you like it quite a bit. I don't know about Phil and Eric. Did, were they going to want to play it every week? Probably no. Kirk won't. Kirk dislikes it. Kirk will not. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. I'm just sad because I have all these different maps and I think it is such a uh, play the same while exploring thing in a similar way to 18xx that I think we really like. Um, so it makes me, it makes me colon upside down parentheses or it makes me sad. <laughs> I'm trying to spell out the emoji for sad. I do wish there was an equivalent for Age of Steam like there is for 18xx with 18xx.games because that really opened the door to just getting in a lot of cycles in and a lot of reps on games. And I do feel that my skill in 18XX increased dramatically once mm-hmm. that was available in a way that even playing, you know, back in the old days with board 18 didn't, you know, when you were manually doing everything in spreadsheets. Yeah, it, it was a thing, but not like with 18XX.games. You sort of get rid of all the housekeeping and you can really just play the game and do a lot of cycles on something. If there was a way that I could play Age of Steam games asynchronously online in the same way that I'm playing 18xx that would definitely get me over my intimidation and reticence as well as you know keep me familiar with the game and I wish that existed that would that would be the thing that would push me over the hump yeah because you're not it wasn't the rules that intimidated you it was playing the game strategy wise it's not difficulty of rules it was lack of memory of the rules like I did not remember how to play the game like I thought I did Speaking of all the different maps that we were playing on Age of Steam, Jake, uh, which map was it that we were playing this time around? It was one that I had never seen before, and like many Age of Steam maps, had some interesting rules. Pacific Electric. And uh, the MacGuffins behind that were something about where you don't have the normal locomotive action. You actually like get power plants that you power up, and they power multiple locomotive spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're times two, so it's cheaper sure. to run the, the trains. But it's also like kind of a weirder, poor area, and you all fight for Los Angeles because you have to start off Los Angeles or San Bernardino. You yeah. start there. I thought it was good. It's, it's funny because it's actually not that weird of a map. It's like actually a pretty normal one. You just can't build in mountains unless you take the mountain builder guy activity or action sure. space. Yeah, it was cool. And once we once I got a couple of rounds under my belt and realized that, OK, you know, I definitely needed Nick to just kind of go, uh, Nick, where am I? Where am I going to be at here? <laughs> Do I have enough money? Yeah, you're good. OK, cool. I'm going to build there. Yeah. And there. yeah. I get it. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I agree with your take on I'd love an app racing 18xx style dot games thing for Age And it makes me sad it doesn't exist, but I guess time will tell if, if, if it is just diving in or if it is just, just kind of letting it fade away. Who knows? I'll let you figure that out. My opinions, I just seen have not moved. It's not my favorite game. I will play it any day of the week. I do think there was maybe a context angle there too that this was hour 96 of a gaming weekend or something like that and i was probably hitting it right after an 18xx game 
right after an 18 XX game. And I was, I think I was at a mental low point anyway. Needed more snacks, needed more high, high fat snacks. <laughs> we didn't have enough of those, I guess. After the 74th diet Coke for the weekend. Yeah. I probably just needed, I needed an amuse bouche at that point or something like that. Something a little breezier that uh, wasn't quite as intense immediately after that maybe is what I needed. So it might, there might've been a moment in time problem there too. Hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Cause I remember just feeling super drained. Yeah. I mean, it was a draining game. Anyway, Age of Steam, keeping an eye on it, I still, you know, as I sit here today and discuss with you, I'm like, that ah, game's so freaking great. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Speaking of train games that I know you do like, we also did play 18 Chesapeake before it. Don't have a lot to take. We probably talked about Chesapeake, um, the wonderful game by Scott Peterson, more than any probably other 18xx game, maybe 1849, maybe more, or 18 New England, because we were like involved with playtesting with with 18 Chesapeake yeah definitely we were we were some of the very earliest people to play that and yeah for those of you that don't know Scott's a good friend of ours and lives very local to us as well so we see him a fairly regular amount of times mm-hmm. Scott how you doing yeah it's just it's it's a great game it's really simple it's supposed to be a learner game but the funny thing is did you how did how did the game end the opposite to the way the game of Caverna ended yeah you uh even worse we had to stop it early cuz Mark ran out of monies yeah, he declared banks bankruptcy, um, which is funny because this game is always lauded as being very like beginner friendly. A good amount of these games for me end in bankruptcy. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't have any way to track it, but I mean, I think a large amount of lower player count three, four in bankruptcy, which is which is cool that that exists. And I like that it is an option for a relatively beginner game because it means that you can end it earlier and move on to their stuff. It's even less intimidating. You can say. Oh, uh, well, this game can take three hours, but oftentimes it takes two because somebody went bankrupt with each, you know, maybe took an hour and a half. We were getting a non-zero amount of shade from the uh, co-op playing crowd when that box came out. I mean, <laughs> we were being straight up mock. It was <laughs> loudly. Were we? Oh, God. Yeah. Like as soon as as soon as you pulled the box out. I didn't pay attention. I would have. I would, they they would have caught these hands. Everybody in the co-op crew just like, oh, we're out of here. No. I'm not worried. Ooh, I, that repels me. I, I'm out of here. Yeah. So the funny part was how much earlier were we done before with that before they were done playing what they were playing? I think an Age of Steam. Hours. Yeah. A full play of Age of Steam earlier. <laughs> so we played this. Yeah. A full play of Age of Steam. Yeah. 100%. So. So we played 18 Chesapeake and Age of Steam in the same amount of time it took them to play one play of Nemesis. Yeah. But but Nemesis, you, you pretend that you're a, a man on a, on a spaceship with your little plastic toys. How cool is that? True. And there's a story that involves, wow. I got to kill a whole bunch of aliens and not die. And how does the story happen? Flip in a card. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> is what it is. There goes our listenership. No. Ah, that isn't our listeners anyway. You know, the interesting part about 18 Chesapeake, speaking of the game, algorithmically making it harder. Wow. Here's the transition of all transitions, Jake. The water started rising somewhere through there. 18 Chesapeake has a mechanism where trains get exported to keep the game moving along. That's how it functions in terms of beginners. How it functions in terms of expert players is it amps up the difficulty a little bit. And I got the rug pulled out from underneath me. So Mm. I was in a position where I... Let's see how that happened. I I ended up being one of the only people starting a company at the beginning. Uh, you and Nick, one of you ended up with the BNO and like jointly started that. Yeah, we. I, I got BNO. I was gonna. I floated it high. The issue was everybody floated companies in that mid tier. I think when people haven't played in a while, they're like, "Oh, that's a good compromise spot." You should really float high or float low. 
in my honest opinion. Sure. I had enough early tier ca- early game capital to get myself in quite a bit of trouble. Knowing that I was against the two of you, I felt the urge to really like you had four twos right off the bat and we're trying to run them. So mm-hmm. I was trying to aggressively push trains and rust them out from underneath you, which I did. And I still maintain that was the right move. But then combined with a couple of forced rusts because of the train export, you know, I, I got left holding the bag and yep. had to force buy two diesels in a row. The first one I survived, the second right. one I did not. I think you would have lived if you floated low and had the extra stock revenue of having a couple more shares and then selling down everybody else and then starting your next company higher probably yep. would have saved you. Versus, yep. I think, did you float both of them mid or was it mid and high? Mid and high. Mid and high. I think, I think people underestimate how good it is to float low in this yep. game. Yeah. Um, and I think that was kind of the, the play that we did, but still love it. I had a great time with that game. You're not going to, sure. you're not going to make me sad by playing it. It's also fun that the Carter or the charters are full cardboard. I'm like, let's go in hand the whole charter without having to do that little taco thing where you slightly bend it. Just holds rigid. Ah, what a day. Yeah. Thanks. Lovely production on the new version of 18 Chesapeake by Scott Peterson, all aboard games mm-hmm. is going bankruptcy. Feel bad. No, I didn't really feel that bad. Like no, I was sure. doing, I was doing great until I didn't. No, <laughs> it's one of those no, that it's fine. I went from sugar to squat in uh, a heartbeat. Do you remember those things in the nineties where they put coins and they'd go around for forever and forever and forever and forever around the, oh, yeah, the, uh, the drop in the middle? Yeah. The, the, the black hole thing. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. kind of what 18XX is like sometimes one of you is just going to fall in, you know, but a lot of you are just going around a circle, going around a circle. I mean, I could have lost. I ended up getting early, early permits and having two runs to New York because I'm the best. But yeah, I mean, like it could have, I could have easily went back. You know, you never know. It's funny how it manages the feel bad in a different way to agency because you don't feel bad. Mm-hmm. I've gone bankrupt on this game. I'm like, Ha-ha. I went down swinging, right? I mean, I was making big moves the whole way through. And, you know, it's, it's one of those that I was either going to win or I was going to crater. <laughs> yeah, people in my, in the 18XX community, they're much smarter than me and you often say that first player is, or second player did not play better than fourth player. First player probably played the best, but fourth player often, oftentimes is the person that was almost first place and they exploded. Yeah. Like I actually think I played really well. I think I, you know, I just, I came up a little short. I made a mm-hmm. one or two little decisions wrong early, but aside from that, I mean, I kind of did what I was supposed to do and I turned up the heat on everybody else. It's just that eh, I didn't quite get out of the house that I set on fire before it burned down. Certainly. All right. Well, it's been a good episode. Pretty long one, but a pretty good one. It has. We just figured that it was another episode to talk about games that we played because we have, we actually had played a lot of them since the last time we recorded. Next episode, we're going to mix it up a little bit. Not, we're going to save it to the surprise till later, but um, surprise mainly because we don't know what it is yet, but we're going to mix it up. We promise. <laughs> we are first bowling themed podcast episode. We're actually pivoting to being a bowling podcast it's a game right i didn't i thought it was going to be frolf not bowling knowing you jake but uh i just thought i'd go crazy you know we're going to be into nascar we're a nascar only podcast now that's out of left field well i guess you kind of like cars i don't like i like cars went to petit le mans down at road Road atlanta a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and that was one of the best times i've had in a long time that was amazing it's about as far from uh from nascar as you can be in motorsports though it really is (laughs) it's a completely different demographic Let's just leave it at that. We'll review. We'll, we'll be like reviewing pickleball. Yeah, we'll pickleball. we could be super That'd trendy be and do pickleball. Sounds great. All right. Well, I'm, I hope the listeners are excited for our uh, pickleball episode next episode. Be fun. The pickle moguls. The pickle moguls. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs>
Yeah, I got weird fast. The Sausage King of, of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, hey, uh, for the Gaming Moguls, I'm Mark. And I'm Jake. See you next time. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.